0: Welcome to the Data Points Podcast. Focused on the importance of data in a 21st century world, we discuss data-centric topics such as fundamentals of data management and use, strategies for building buy-in within organizations, the crucial role that communities play in this important work, and so much more. My name is Andrew Nicklin and I'm a part of the Public Sector Innovation Team at Johns Hopkins University. In my role, I support various projects across both the Bloomberg Center for Government Excellence, the Bloomberg Center for Public Innovation, and I engage with other university partners on policy, data, and technology. Today, we're taking a look at the complexities of bringing together data from multiple international sources and working to make it all apples to apples comparable. Our Standards of Living Explorer has automated data updates and pulls information for lots of different cities, especially in the Americas. From this conversation, I hope you'll get a sense of the elements which make a complex analytics project successful. We're joined today by Adam Lee, Angel Aliseda, and Sarah Bertrand Lee. So uh, before we get into the actual conversation, I would love it if you would all sort of spend a couple of minutes just introducing yourselves very briefly, um, maybe we can start with you, Sarah.
1: Sure, thank you, Andrew. So my name is Sarah. I'm the director of the analytics team at the Bloomberg Center for Government Excellence, where we carry out both technical assistance projects and also web development that has to do with data for public governments.
2: Great, glad to have you with us. Angel. Hi Andrew, so my name is Angel, I'm a researcher at Govex and in the past few years I've been working on the coronavirus resource center as a researcher and now in this project.
3: Awesome, and last but not least, Adam. I'm Adam, I am a backend data engineer for the Bloomberg Center for Government Excellence. I, just like Angel, have been working on the Coronavirus Resource Center for the last couple of years, and I've shifted into this project. My role has been mostly with the back end of the data, and I'll get into some of those details later on.
0: Awesome. Looking forward to that conversation. So as as you heard, all of these folks here have been deeply involved in the Coronavirus Resource Center, which was very pivotal in giving access to information about the spread of the virus, particularly during the early stages of the pandemic. But we're taking our expertise and we're now shifting it into a new kind of work. And so that's what the Standards of Living Explorer is. So, Sarah, I'm going to start with you and, and ask you maybe if you can just talk a little bit about what the Standards of Living Explorer is and what we're trying to do with it.
1: So the Centers of Living Explorer is a tool where 22 cities that are going to participate in one of our signature projects to access high-level metrics that describe how is to live in the city and what quality of life have the citizens living in that city. So the things that we aim to accomplish is not only provide this high-level view, but also give an idea of how the city is doing in different topics, what areas of improvement they can work on. And also get a sense of the data that they can use to validate the progress in different policies and actions that they are taking. So it's a collection of external data sources that will provide the city with this view of how are they doing and if they are moving the needle in the right direction.
0: So I like that you you said a collection of external data sources, and that sort of is like a perfect pivot to my next question, which is when you're sort of pulling a lot of these different data sets together, what are the kinds of issues that crop up when you want to be able to bring them together and make them meaningful for people?
1: So among the challenges of working with such a disparate data sources, the the main problem is that we are working with cities that are not in the same country. So the challenges that they face and data availability is different. Also the data standards that they use. So when it comes to pulling together all these separate data sources, we have to reconcile the different definitions that different geographies have for the same concepts. So when we are speaking about homicides in the U.S., it's not the same as what is the common understanding of what is a homicide in Canada or in Mexico, or in Brazil. So we have to slightly make reconciliations in the data and what we include and what we've done, and also define the metrics in a way that are inclusive for all the different places. So for example, something that might be very remarkable in the US might not be so much in Brazil, and the other way around. The idea is that we have to create the products in a way that it's inclusive and remarkable for all the places at the same time and also comparable.
0: That, that makes a lot of sense, but also sounds really hard. And how I know you've been in the middle of a lot of that work, particularly with sort of identifying some of the challenges that cities are facing, looking for data that might support their efforts to tackle some of those challenges. Could you talk a little bit about that or sort of go into a little bit more depth about some of the things that Sarah talked
2: about? Sure. So I think, as Sarah mentioned, one of the main issues is data availability. Not all cities have all the metrics that we would like to have in in our Standards of Living Explorer. That's one of the main issues. City level data is really hard to come by because it's also really hard for like countries or like cities to implement these surveys or like look into like administrative data for cities and create representative metrics for a city. Also, we're talking about cities, but the definition of a city is also really it varies a lot among countries. In some countries, we have really small cities that are part of a larger metropolitan area. So how do we define the cities? The larger metropolitan area is just the part of the metropolitan area that we're working with. How can we reconcile this difference in geographies? And also another issue that we've encountered is timeliness of data and also reporting cadence. Some of these really interesting metrics that are representative of the city level are from a census that only comes by every 10 years or other every five years. Or, or, or there are other metrics that, for example, we have quarterly data. So how can we reconcile this difference in reporting cadence among these cities and among all these different metrics?
0: That's really interesting. And we're going to talk more a little bit further on about how actually challenging that is from a data perspective. But before we sort of dive deeper, I actually want to take a little bit of a step back and talk a little bit about kind of the framework that we built for the Standards of Living Explorer. Sarah, it comes from a lot of what you said, which is that there's so much diversity and so many differences and priorities across sort of all the cities that we're working with. But yet we still have sort of come up with a scheme of nine or 10 topics, these sort of broad categories of information that we can present things to people with. How did we sort of like get to that list of nine topics? And then how did we even get deeper than that and figuring out sort of all the components of those nine topics?
1: So we started the, the project by investigating and we put a ton of hours into researching not only what frameworks already exist that speak about the quality of life, but also individual cities that, for example, report on sustainable development goals from the UN. So we took a look to all these existing frameworks, also from the OECD, from particular cities that put their things out there. And we discovered that there is actually a lot of commonalities, which is great news, because that means that we somehow have a common understanding of what is actually quality of life and what means a good quality of life. But then like several different cities have several different particularities, and there are some things that might not be as remarkable as in other places. So for example, a city might have a big priority, which is around environment and climate change and floating, while for another city, it might be not be so remarkable. One city might be worried about the access and quality of the water that the citizens are drinking, while the other one is still fighting to provide access to the whole population. So the topics are very similar, but the way in which we measure them might differ a little bit. We came with the nine topic areas just by looking around into frameworks that already existed, and cities that were already reporting in similar metrics. And then we allow the metrics to be a bit flexible to accommodate all these smaller differences to make it representative for all the cities.
0: You mentioned that there's a number of other frameworks out there, and I'm curious why we made a decision to build a dedicated Standards of explorer tool ourselves rather than looking for solutions that might potentially already be out there. I wonder if you wouldn't mind just sort of talking through that, that rationale and that decision making.
1: The difference with other frameworks is that they exist at a level that is very hard for a local government to take an action on. So the main difference is that we are doing this at the city level. Frameworks like OECD don't report much data at the city level, most of it is at the metropolitan area. Other frameworks like the UN Sustainable Development Goals are reported at the country level. So there is a great diversity of things out there, but there is nothing that is actually reported at the city levels.
0: You know, there are a number of competing platforms out there. And what I hear from you is that we have spent some time looking at them and are feeling very confident in the fact that there's a, a unique set of things here that we are offering, especially to our partner cities, that is not accessible anywhere else. There's a little bit of nuance. There's a focus on a city level whereas a lot of the stuff seems to be the national or at least the regional or the
2: metropolitan level. how do you want to jump in on that? Sure. I think another new thing that we're bringing to the table is that we are Taking a comprehensive view of a city and not just a topic-based view of, of the city. So, for example, there's some dashboards, especially for the US, that focus on health of cities. And there's a lot of metrics for us around health or the environment. But I think what we bring here is that we have this comprehensive view of these nine different topics that try to represent a broader view of what standards of living of a city actually means in different perspectives. Yeah,
3: definitely to add to that, health doesn't always get measured in a vacuum. There's safety and workforce and all of these things work together and you can kind of see how they impact each other when we put all that data together in one place for a city.
0: I love that notion of the interconnectedness of things. I do think that, at least from my experience of the other platforms that I've seen, there is a little bit less of that. And so I know we're working towards that and I hope we continue to, to keep on improving on that as we sort of get down the road on this project. how I want to come back to you and talk about you know, we have the set of topics now, we've got the set of something like nine topics, and we're putting together all these metrics that kind of feed into those higher level topics. Curious to hear your take on the approach that we took for building that, right? So we had to like spend a lot of time documenting and figuring out, okay, well, what is it we're going to collect and how are we going to collect
2: it? Could you talk about that? Like, why was it important to even document this stuff in the first place? Yeah. So I think, first of all, what we did, and this is part of what Sarah mentioned, is that we have these conversations with other stakeholders and people that are working together with cities. And we try to focus the metrics choosing of what are the most relevant and what are the most actionable metrics for mayors. We had like long conversations with senior advisors at the Bloomberg Center for Government Excellence and with different actors to see like which are the most important and relevant and actionable metrics. And after that, we started looking for those metrics out there. We looked into different sources statistics office of a country, census data, NGOs, international organizations. After that, we realized that data exists. There's a lot of city-level data out there, but it's very different from country to country. So we needed to create these methodology documents so that we can have a written record of what are these metrics? How are they calculated? What are they about? What are the differences in caveats and all these nuances in the data? So I think these broad metrics that might seem similar in the nuances and in the details of the data, there are some differences. So we had to like have everything really documented and we we're going to present that to the, to the larger audience so that they know when we talk about unemployment, what we're actually talking about.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important, and I also think it's very relevant for even people who are just doing work within a city to build their own, like, performance management tools or their own performance management frameworks, right? We're working at an international level with cities across the Americas, but in some ways, that's not that different from working in a city government with multiple departments. You will have overlap of business functions within departments. They're serving similar purposes and all working together towards one goal. But yet the measurements are different, the way they sort of track and organize things is different. And so bringing that all together requires a lot of thought, right? I think there's a lot of applicability across the work that we do and the work that you do, even if you were just a part of one city. Sarah, do you wanna jump in and, and talk about that some more?
1: Yeah, something that I think it's also important to mention is that we are very invested in openly shared the process that we have followed to create those metrics and allow people to actually reproduce that on their own. Because eventually, what we want is that cities actually build these kind of tools by themselves and use data to validate the different like policies and actions that they take. So we have invested a lot in documenting also because we want to share this afterwards and be very transparent and very make it very accessible for whoever wants to reproduce our work to actually be able to do it and not have all the details about it.
0: I love that. I think having a platform that is as open as possible and communicating as much as possible how things are derived or computed or, or sort of presented is incredibly powerful. I want to talk back into the data a little bit, though, because there's a lot there, right? So how'll talked quite a lot about searching for the right sort of metrics to talk about, the right information to get, and then how the multitude of data sources is actually very complex. But then it goes to somebody like Adam. And Adam has this huge responsibility of taking all this data and smooshing it together and turning it into something meaningful that then we can sort of feed into the website. First of all, how hard is it, right? And then second of all, like what are the steps involved in like even just making something like that happen?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So this is a huge data endeavor that the researchers put together all of these great instructions on how to process it. And then my role was really to execute those plans that they came up with, automate the process of downloading that data, processing that data and putting it into a form that can then be used to make interesting visualizations that are actionable for all these cities. And this really wasn't a linear process because as they passed me all of these instructions to process the data and download the data, what we found was that coming up with a method on how to do it and actually going and trying to do it doesn't always line up. Sometimes I would look at some data, start working with it and realize something unique with it that they may have missed. Or something that we can maybe explore a little bit further. And that way, I was going back and forth with this research team to come up with the best way to really process this data in the way that they envisioned from the start. It's a huge challenge because there are so many differences between these data sets. All this data comes in so many different shapes and sizes. And so there was a lot of challenges on having one procedure that downloads all of this data, processes it all into the shape that we want. And not only that, but also, We work with countries in North America and South America. I think there's maybe three different languages we're working with across all these different data sets and different countries have different norms and how they write their numbers, whether it be with a comma or a period, different data file types, different shapes and sizes within those different file types. I mean, I can go on and on. We had to kind of be on our toes a little bit and try to be flexible with getting these data sets and trying to do some gymnastics with them to put them in the shape that we can actually do something useful with them and be able to compare with each other down the road.
0: I want to come back to some specific examples around that, Adam, in a few minutes. But I also wanted to talk about sort of a different piece of this, which is that now that we've kind of collected all this information and we've got it all organized, we have to deliver it. And I want to give a little bit of credit to somebody who is not a part of this episode, but our colleague Heather, who spent a lot of time building these really, really fascinating visualizations in conjunction with some some designers. And the reason why I think it's phenomenal is not because it's data visualization, but also because... A lot of these visuals have been designed without actually ever having seen the data before. We had to come up with a way to present information without knowing what was going to be presented up front. You know, similar to the way you've been describing your process, Adam, there's an evolution of the of the visuals where now that we're starting to pump data into the platform, we're starting to realize, oh, well, we need to adjust the visuals in this way or, or whatever. So I, I think Heather has been a particularly powerful partner in this work. I want to loop back to Angel a little bit because... You've been sort of in the center of this engagement process as sort of between the liaisons who will be working directly with the cities and doing research for data yourself. I wonder if you could talk about why engagement is so important, maybe to talk a little bit more about why engagement with the people who are going to use the platform is important. We haven't really talked about it, but we're in the stage where this site is about to go live. It's something that then we then need to keep on working with as we go forward. How do we maintain engagement? How do we make sure that we are responding
2: to folks' needs effectively and delivering the right solution? Yeah, so I think uh, one of the main goals of, our, of this tool is that we want cities to use it. So part of this engagement would be to ask them if Like these metrics are actually relevant and actionable for them. And during this process, there might have been some metrics that we have missed or that are really city specific. The priorities of Baltimore City might not be the same as Buenos Aires. This engagement process would inform our own research. This is a cycle. So we put out there the first version of the Explorer. We engage with cities. We talk to them. We talk to the mayors, to their teams, to people there. What are the best metrics? What are we missing? What are the city-specific priorities? But also in those cities, people that are living in those countries, they know a lot of what are the best, for example, data sources to use. So maybe there could be one source that we think might be the best one or the most suitable one, but then People that are actually making decisions based on this data to inform us that whether we're using the best source or there might be another one that's like updated more frequently. That iterative process and the second version of the Explorer would be more rich than the first one.
1: Yeah, and I think we have this amazing opportunity just because we are working with the cities. We will be together in the same room with the people that is actually going to be the users and see how they interact with the tool. And that is going to inform not only feedback on the general navigation of a web, but also on the actual content. And if we are effectively displaying the data and the metadata in a way that actually reaches them.
0: I'm really looking forward to that whole process. It's a commitment from us that this is the start of something and not like a finished product. And I also think it's just a good lesson in general. You can't go into building a solution like this and then assume that once you've completed it, it's going to be done and that's the end of it. I want to shift gears a little bit and maybe get into some specific types of problems that we had to solve. Maybe on how you can get into, you know, as you were doing desk research for a particular city or in a particular country, what did you find that you got stuck on? And then how did you sort of work around it or figure out an answer?
2: Yeah, so I think one really specific example is Renca, which is a city in, in Chile, and it's part of the Santiago's metropolitan area. It's a small city. It's part of a larger metropolitan area. And we've been struggling with finding data for that city because for most of the data in Chile is representative of the entire metropolitan area of Santiago. And Finding data for this small city that's part of a larger metropolitan area, it's less than 2% of the entire metropolitan area, it has been really hard. So we have struggled finding data for for this specific city, but nevertheless, we found some metrics and some data sets that are specific of the city. That's also part of the iterative process that we've been talking about because the next phase would be to talk to the data people in the city and, and ask them whether they have these specific data sources that maybe could be produced in the city and not rely on like national level. Maybe the city has better data than the countries. This is another of the advantages of working directly with cities.
0: I remember also we were, we had to make some decisions even in the US around cities that were part of counties or part of multiple counties. We didn't necessarily have city specific data available but we had county data available. We had to sort of make an evaluation and said, yes, we're going to use a particular county's data to represent the city. I think we know it's
2: not going to be perfect, but that it gets us very close to what we want to do. And the other way around, Andrew, like we have uh, two cities that share a county. So we are working with Scottsdale and Tempe, and they're both shared the same county. So can we use the data for that county for those specific cities? And that's another issue that we're encountering.
0: Yeah. Did we pick, a, I think we picked like some specific thresholds for that, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken.
1: The idea of how representative is a city within like a larger metropolitan area is actually a question that you can answer in many different ways. We choose to keep it simple for the first round and then refine as we go and as we see the actual data. So the first criteria was, is this actually the larger city in the metro? And the second one is, what percentage of the population it represents. So we have assumed that if it represents more than a 50%, it's something that we can assume and it might be representative and we go with it. If it's between 20 and 50%, we are taking it very carefully and we are definitely not using anything that is less than 20% of the whole population of the metro or county or whatever geography we want to estimate and assume. What you're
0: describing here also goes back to our notion of transparency we want to be really clear about how and where we make decisions like this so that folks understand as they're looking at the platform why and how we made the decisions we did, and that there is absolutely an opportunity to kind of rethink that stuff or to get better and more refined data into the platform. All right, Adam, I asked you a little while ago to think of some examples. So uh, what do you have on the data side of that? I mean, how, how messy is
3: this? You know, before I jumped into that, I wanted to add one other thing to that county discussion. At the federal level in the U.S., most data is really reported at the county level. It's hard to find that city data, like we were saying. Just how two cities might share a county, a city can also span multiple counties. In fact, we have one city, I believe it's Tulsa, that spans four different counties. So we had to make a decision that we just pick the biggest county that it's a part of. And it's hard because we have to make these assumptions that lead to different data outcomes that may not necessarily be accurate to what's on the ground. And that's what's going to be nice about working directly with these cities to see if we're accurate with these assumptions. And if not, what can we do to fix that? But to answer your original question, this data comes from so many different sources, whether they be national sources, subnational sources, the city level. Or even smaller, where we have, for example, a data set of every library within a city boundary, just a list of each one, and then we have to aggregate that together to come up with a number. There are a lot of examples of where we were just unable to compare data, especially when it came to money. What we found was that every country we work with has a different currency, and we can't just normalize it to one of those currencies, because that would be showing some bias toward one country or another not only were the currencies different between all these countries, but sometimes, for example, Canada would report their wage data as a median, but in the US, we use a mean. Statistically, we can't really be comparing those numbers as an apples to apples comparison. We can compare the trends perhaps, but overall, it's a different currency, it's a different statistical measure, it's just not comparable. Those types of metrics really lend themselves better for internal comparison within the city, to look at how things changed. Comparison could be a really useful tool, but in some cases it's just not possible with the way the data is set up. Outside of that money example, the data is reported at so many different frequencies. You know, We might have monthly data, quarterly data, annual data. I've even seen one that reports data semesterly. Data that's already calculating a rate based on some population value they don't give you. So you just kind of have to assume they're using your standards for how you would calculate a rate but other data doesn't provide you a rate. And it's just a raw total of whatever that that number is. And we have to figure out what's the best way to calculate that rate. To do that, we often have to find a time series of population data that matches the group that's being measured. For example, when you look at wage data, that only includes people maybe 15 and older, but a lot of population data is the whole population. Then there's the challenge of not only having one population data set, but a population data set for every age or whatever demographic group that we're interested in looking at to calculate those rates accurately. The shape of the data, like I mentioned earlier, there's so many different types of file types, layouts for those file types, different ways that they could label things. Because of that, I've had to build this with a lot of flexibility in mind as I pull in all this data and try to process it into something that we can actually use and make meaningful visualizations out of. The definitions of these data aren't always very clear, and it's sometimes hard to figure out what they are because, you know, I'm working with data that has documentation in another language. And if you've ever worked with data documentation in your native language, you know that those can be sometimes very dense and hard to figure out. When you're working with another language, Google Translate can only do so much for you. So it's hard to really figure out what data they're showing and what the nuances of their data are when you're not actually a native speaker of that language as I process it, there are biases that I put into the data and, and assumptions that I have to make along the way that could lead to issues in the data if I make the wrong assumption. And so we need to you know, work with the cities and work with the researchers, for example, who really know this data pretty well and can help make these right decisions so that we can compare these correctly as best we can.
1: Sarah, do you want to jump in on that? Yeah, let me just build on that. That in the end, when we are processing data, we have to take a thousand different tiny decisions that are going to impact the end product. It's a balance between what we can assume, because you need to take assumptions. That's the reality. And you estimate what kind of errors you're introducing and if this is acceptable or not. And then just go on with the assumptions. So, for example, one of the calls that we had to make is, Do we want to show monthly data or do we want to show annual data? And the answer was annual because some of our metrics might have some seasonal effects, and working with annual data will remove those, right? And you can compare year to year. So, between annual, quarterly data, and so on, like you can always aggregate annual, uh, monthly data to get to annual, but you cannot disaggregate annual data into monthly you first have to look at all the data, see what is the landscape, see what kind of transformations you can make, do some assumptions in the way that you think are acceptable and estimate how much error you're introducing into that and then take the final assumption and decision. And it's just a collection of a thousand different decision points like this one.
3: Yeah, and when it came to aggregation, there were even deeper nuances there as well because when you have a monthly data set of a raw number you can sometimes just get the sum of those smaller parts and bring it up to a year, but sometimes it might be something like average wage. If you get the average wage by month and aggregate that up to the year with the sum, you're gonna get some crazy number that doesn't make any sense. We had to decide when we aggregate, are we going to get the mean of this number? Are we gonna get the sum of this number? What if it's an index? Can you just get the average of an index value? And these were challenges along the way that I think we're gonna continue to face as we deal with more and more new data how can we make this work to be more comparable and to effectively show those numbers?
0: If you were talking to somebody else who was undertaking this work and is nine months or a year behind where you are right now, what advice would you give them? How would you encourage them to get started and how would you encourage them
1: to be successful So a couple of things is, first of all, build with flexibility. You don't know what exactly you are going to encounter down the road. So you have to be building something that is flexible enough to be able to change without disrupting all the work that you have previously done. And the second thing is about internal communications. You are going to have a team of people that is working in very different parts of the process, and you want them to actually communicate. So you want to empower the people in your team to communicate between them and build a culture where asking questions, happens fluently without any sort of managerial intervention. The researchers that are gathering the data can fluently communicate with the data engineer that is ingesting the data and then so on in the process. So you want to build these small relationships within your team so that issues above and out resolve on their own with this level of comfort, being able to interact with other people and ask questions naturally without any sort of issues in the way.
3: Following that thread of communication, I think it's really important to set expectations for the people you're going to be working with. For example, I wish at the start that I had had a conversation with the researchers and said, this is exactly what I need from you to process this data. But instead, I kind of made some assumptions that they would provide me the data in the way that I would need. And then when I saw it, I found there were a lot of questions I had, and there were a lot of unanswered things that I had to go to them. It worked out because we did improve our communication throughout this process. I began working with them more and more, learned how they worked. They learned how I worked. Overall, I think focusing on your communications plan might be one of the most important parts of a project like this.
0: I want to kind of wrap up by asking one maybe sort of last but very open-ended question, which is what's next? How is this work going to continue? It's not a finished product. There is a lot to be seen in what we've made so far, but we also have these plans for evolution. What paths we might follow, who we're going to talk to to make those things happen, and so on.
1: One of the things that we are more excited about is the interaction that we are going to have with the cities and see how they react to the tool. But we have a couple of things down the line that I think are going to be very interesting, which is basically adding more details to the data that we have already collected. We have been collecting these metrics and we have the trends, but we want to add this extra layer of granularity to make it even more actionable. We are adding extra granularity by breaking down our data by demographics, so different races, ethnicities, cultural identities, ages, different genders, and also adding more granularity geographically. Your city might be very extensive and very diverse, and it's not the same solution if you're going to inter- implement something citywide or you're actually going to do interventions in particular neighborhoods. So having this extra granularity of who and where, I think it's going to help a lot in making all these data actionable to the cities.
3: On the data side of things, I'm really excited now that I've seen hundreds and hundreds of these data sets and know what they might look like and what we want to do to them. I'm excited to update my code to be even more flexible for other data that we have yet to process because of being too complicated for our current situation, just being able to make it even more flexible so that we can continue to build out this website and really improve these tools.
0: Angel, any any thoughts from
2: you on uh, where we want to take this and how you plan to help it get there? Sure. So I think uh, on my side, I would be excited to find new data sources. I think in this conversation that we will have with CDs, I'm excited of like what cities have to say about our tool and how can we improve that and how can we include more of their ideas and making decisions out of the data that comes from this explorer. As a part of the
0: team, I'm excited for all of that as well. And I'm really looking forward to continuing to working with you as we move forwards. And thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. Um, Adam, Anhal, and Sarah, I really enjoyed this last sort of 30, 45 minutes of conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and have this chat. I know the folks listening to this episode are going to be really interested in what we talked about because I see a lot of similarities between the kind of work that we're doing at this international level and what happens even within a city. There's so many parallels there. We could spend another episode just talking about those and finally to you our wonderful listeners thank you so much for joining us today if you'd like to learn more you can find us at govx.jhu.edu and I'd like to give one final shout out to Stephen who is the person behind the microphones who is making this whole thing come together I don't know if he gets credit in the other episodes that he makes but he he really without him you would not be listening to this podcast and you would not be hearing all this wonderful content so thank you so much Stephen for all the work that you do we really appreciate it and we'll catch you next time in the next episode be well everybody